to the Word of God, the sixth commandment, also as it's summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 40 of the Heidelberg Catechism. So the sixth commandment is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall not murder. The church confesses concerning this commandment in Lord's Day 40, which is on page 555 in the book of praise. What does God require in the sixth commandment? I am not to dishonor, hate, injure, or kill my neighbor by thoughts, words, or gestures, and much less by deeds, whether personally or through another. Rather, I am to put away all desire of revenge. Moreover, I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself. Therefore, also the government bears the sword to prevent murder. But does this commandment speak only of killing? By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that he regards all these as murder. Is it enough, then, that we do not kill our neighbor in any such way? No. When God condemns envy, hatred, and anger, he commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness toward him, to protect him from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, imagine, if you, if you will, that you're driving your car, you're too young to drive, maybe you're sitting in the passenger seat, and you're listening to the radio, and you hear the news, and the news tells you about a, a violent murderer who was condemned to life in prison. When you hear of murderers in prison, what kind of thoughts come to your mind? What do you think of that person? And while you're driving, all of a sudden, the person driving in front of you is going under the speed limit. Maybe an old man with a hat. That's where I, when I grew up, that was the classic bad driver. He's just driving slow, about 10 kilometers under the speed limit. And you, you're a Christian. You try to take it for a while. But it gets a bit much for you, and you get really angry. You wish that person wasn't wasn't around. And as you're thinking of these thoughts, when the gas tank light comes on, and you think bad things about your spouse who forgot to fill it up as it had been arranged, and you, maybe you think to yourself, well, I'm just going to leave it empty to teach her a lesson, to get back at her. And then you get to your destination, and you park beside a car that's way nicer than your car, it's your, your boss's car, and you feel a little contempt within you, and you're reminded of how he humiliated you at work the other day, and you start thinking of ways to, to get him back. According 
to our confession, according to your confession, according to what comes from your lips when you say what it means to be a, a Christian, all those desires and thoughts that you had when you were driving in that car, that anger and the desire for revenge and envy and how that envy causes you to want to cause harm to others are actually no different than the desires that that murderer had when he decided to, to kill someone else. And then we can see how many ways we break the sixth commandment. That's what we confess. When God tells us not to murder, he condemns the root of murder that we actually see a lot of, way too much of in our own hearts and our own lives. He condemns the root of murder which leads people to act out their wicked desires by dishonoring or hating or injuring others. And then the confession goes even further. It says even if you manage to not kill, not to kill anybody in these ways, you still need to love them, to protect them, to good to, good to them, even to our enemies. Well, as we reflect on this, the sixth commandment is being used by the Holy Spirit to teach us how to live in our redeemed life, especially in how we treat other people. And the sixth commandment shows us those sinful inclinations of our heart and how they cause harm to other people. Now, if you've been on the receiving end of such hatred or unkindness or bullying or harming, you certainly understand why God prohibited, why he, he said don't, don't do these things. And if you find yourself being the aggressor, again, it's, this commandment makes us think about what are, what are we really fighting for when we want to harm another person? And whom are we fighting against when we harm another person? When we exclude them from our plans, when we show them that we don't like them, when we say unkind things. The sixth commandment is given to us by the creator of heaven and earth who breathed into us to make us living beings in the universe that he created so that we might use our lives, our livingness, our aliveness to work together in harmony to glorify Him in our work and in our relationships and in our worship. And with this commandment, the Lord is, is redirecting our attention to why He made us. That He is the God of life. That His Son is the author of life. We sang that together. We come to oh Christ to you true Son of God and man, by whom all things consist, in whom all life began. And by His Spirit, He, he makes us a, a new creation. He restores us to that original purpose. And that's the people that He speaks this commandment to. The commandment is a command to embrace the fullness of life that we have in Him keeping in step with the Spirit and also fighting 
every day against those inclinations of our sinful nature to cause harm to others, to murder. I preach this gospel under the theme that Jesus Christ is the author of life. You see that his murder reveals what the sin against the sixth commandment really is, and his resurrection reveals the blessing of belonging to him and living in the sixth commandment. So if we look to our text, striking passage in Acts chapter 3, where we have an, an indication of an unlawful killing, murder, against the sixth commandment, and it's compared to, to killing the author of life, or that's, that's what it is, it's the context. This murder, as Stephen calls it in Acts 7 verse 52, helps us to really see why the Lord commands us not to murder. And so in the address to the, the people in the colonnade, or the portico called Solomon's, the apostle confronted the nation of Israel with the consequences of their willingness to have Jesus Christ's blood be on them and on their children. Matthew 27, verse 25, you can remember when they took that on themselves. As Jesus said would happen in the parable of the tenants in the vineyard, which he told shortly before his death, their murderous hearts brought them to the point of delivering the servant of the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, over to Pilate. Peter says, you denied the holy and righteous one. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And then he says in in verse 15, Acts 3, verse 15, you killed the author of life. So think about that statement. Because you get a good idea of what is behind murderous hearts and what that can lead us to. Those who break the sixth commandment are attacking the very source of their own lives. Murder is basically an attempt to undo what the creator of life has done. To kill the author who made your story possible. To separate or rip out the story pages from the author who had collected them, including your own story page. God has given the sixth commandment to forbid us from ruining ourselves and the world that he made to to live in harmony together. And it's a very clear picture to have in our mind whenever we're tempted to say an unkind thing to a classmate at school or to bully someone who's a little weaker than we are just to prove to our friends how, how strong we are. Next time we feel tempted to punish someone for daring to do something against the almighty me. We think that it's just a small thing, just a reaction. But these words make us realize that we're actually working against the author of life. Harming others is setting our tent in the camp of the enemy. The enemy of all that God created people for. The killing of the author of life was at the same time the rejection of the salvation that God was bringing 
to the world through Jesus Christ. If you want to get a sense of how, how self-destructive murder is, see that it leads to the killing of our Savior. Who, who would intentionally kill the very person that their gracious God sent into the world to bring them into eternal lives? Why did the, the Jews want the holy and righteous one killed? Why do people continue to attack the glorified servant of God, Jesus Christ, and his people? What motivates us humans with sinful natures to fight against our very own Savior? Well, the murder of our Lord Jesus Christ gives us a window into some of the motivations behind every human's sinful desire to, to harm others, to harm ourselves. Think of the times and the motivations for in your life when someone says, here, I'll help you, but you say, no, you reject the help of other people. Why, why do we reject the help of other people? It's often because we want to do things our own way. Or it's because we don't want anyone else to see our problems and our weaknesses, and if they come too close, they might see that. Or we might reject help when we, we don't want anyone, or when we think we can get out of a problem all by ourselves. We don't need help. And so basically, we separate ourselves from others when we are proud, when we're concerned about our reputation. We don't want the truth that God sees and knows to be exposed. That same pride that led the people of God and the Jewish nation in, in Jesus' day to, to even kill their Savior and the author of lives. It's the same desires that leads us, if not to harming ourselves to having hateful thoughts, saying unkind things and pushing others away or separating ourselves from them. Murderous thoughts and sins against the Sixth Commandment, as we find them explained in Lord's Day 40, are a consequence of our sinful nature's preference for darkness over light, over hiding things as opposed to having them known. Fearing that the, the truth about who we are is revealed to too many people. Hating anyone who brings it up. Why else would they kill the Savior, the light shining in the world? Jesus explains that in John chapter 3. So as we bring these, this understanding of the motivations of the heart behind those who killed even the author of life, we bring that to our own lives, we can see how often we are motivated to harm others because of our own pride. We have an inclination to turn from the author of life who is our Savior just because they caused us some personal injury or they embarrassed us or they threatened to make our, our secrets known in the public sphere. Once again, we need to understand we're, what we're doing when we fight back against this 
in our lives. We're not really as important as we may think we are. Not important enough to justify avenging ourselves against those who've embarrassed us in any way. The, the Lamech way, as you read it in the early chapters of Genesis. We're also not as, as righteous as we may think, especially if our reputation is something we need to defend by harming others. By forbidding hatred and murder and desire of revenge, the Sixth Commandment actually makes us think about who we are in thinking that harming others is a good idea. The Sixth Commandment helps us to to stop blaming others for everything and helps us to take responsibility for who we are first, to, to understand who we are. It's a command against living with a sense of entitlement and acting on that sense by pushing any obstacles out of our way. For, because, for if you do not see that you need Christ Jesus as your Savior because you are a sinner, and if you continue hurting others in your blind pride, it's like choosing the life of a murderer over the life of the holy and righteous one whom God sent to forgive, to pay for the sins of all those who confess them. And you can see why the Lord gave this commandment if you follow the consequences of getting into that world of envy and revenge and anger and self-entitlement. We end up going against the flow of God's creation. We end up working against that, that flow of life that we have in Jesus Christ. We see that, maybe we see that quite a bit in our lives. People who set their sights on their own comforts via the, the negative route of destroying all competition they, they live in a culture of, of death and betrayal and lack of trust and contempt and bitterness where there's no respect for other human beings that God made in His image. When people try to find satisfaction in this life from things and from other people, it has this, this selfish focus, this inward focus, and, and it happens that you start to to look around the world, at the world around you with a weary sigh. Something you have to, to tolerate. Is that people around you are nothing more than obstacles. And when you see those consequences of one sin leading to another, the breaking of the sixth commandment to a life of contempt for others and, and bitterness, it's, it becomes hard to becomes hard to remember that God created life. That, that He placed us in this world at this time with, with, as living beings for a purpose that is even beyond ourselves to glorify Him. It's not hard to forget. If you're in bitterness, it's not hard to forget that, that we're created and, and as, long as, as well as everybody else in His image. That he is restoring joy through life in his son. Well, the good news for the church is that the God 
who breathed life into us at the very beginning of the world, also raised up the author of life from the grave so that whoever believes in him may have life and have it abundantly. Didn't we sing that? You only are true life. To know you is to live the more abundant life that earth can never give. O risen Lord, we live in you. In us each day, your life renew. His resurrection reveals the blessing of the sixth commandment. And so you see that after exposing the sin against the sixth commandment and what it leads to even the killing of the author of life, Peter says in Acts chapter 3, verse 15, that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And, and, and Stephen does the same thing in, in Acts chapter 7. The author of life was raised from the dead. Killing the author of life didn't change anything for his enemies except to increase the weight of, of their judgment. Murder is powerless against God's plan. The suffering and death of the author of life was what the scriptures foretold. A fulfillment of prophecy related to Christ's substitutionary work is not a sign that death is stronger than God. God cannot be killed. His son, Jesus Christ, rose from the dead. He defeated the evil one. He broke the teeth of the grave. He freed everyone who believes in him from their fear of death that is used by the devil like you read about in Hebrews 2. Our everlasting days do not need to be lived in fear and torment and envy and revenge and anger, but in a life of love for God and for our neighbor, just as we were created to live. And the sixth commandment points us to that every Sunday again. Every time we, we hear, you shall not murder, you think that's because I'm a people of life. And I have it abundantly in Jesus Christ. You really see that contrast when you look at Acts chapter 7. There's, there's Stephen and this mob, is just, they're, they're livid with anger at him because of the light that he's shining on, on their, who they are and on their lives, exposing their sin. They, they just want to kill him, repeating that same anger and hatred that was seen when our Lord Jesus Christ was killed. And in that one context of rage and anger, the, the Lord gives Stephen a glimpse into to heaven. And there he sees the, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God to receive the spirit of his faithful servant who loved the very enemies who were seeking to kill him to the very end. There's this mob trying to kill Stephen. There's Stephen seeing the, the Lord, his Lord, his King in the glory of heaven and he prays for his enemies. That's what Christ has obtained for us already now while we are living on the earth. That life, that celebration of life that we may we have every day of our of our of our of our lives it triumphs over grave over the grave and over death helps us to see the the promise of the sixth commandment as peter says as as god a god having raised up his servant sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness god created life and love the opposite of murder God will ensure that his people enjoy it fully. 
belonging to the author of life has consequences that are not just visible when we get to heaven someday, but also here on the earth. When, when you leave this building today, you, you're leaving as the followers of the author, the creator of life itself. And you may share in the benefits of his resurrection. You don't have to worry about the hatred and the killing as if it could stop God's plan. You don't have to revenge, get people back. God says, vengeance is mine. And we're set free by Christ's finished work so that we can simply embrace life. We're not slaves to the opinions of others because we already know that we stand before a heavenly judge. We already know our sins every Sunday. We hear them, we confess them. There's nothing to hide before the Lord God Almighty. No one can control or manipulate us in a certain way. We also do not need to threaten or harm others to prevent them from revealing our, our shameful secrets because we know the Son of God has been punished already for them all. And we may be sad and we may be ashamed about we, what we've done because it makes us look like we are really small and, and needy. But when we think about it, it gives so much glory to Jesus Christ, even our shameful sins. God has given us new life when we repent. Christ has done everything to deal with our past. The Spirit himself now dwells in our hearts today so that by the grace of God we may, we may leave this building in the power of the Spirit embracing life that God has given. And then we get back into a true enjoyment of all that God has created for us. Obeying the Sixth Commandment, being led by the Spirit into the Sixth Commandment involves embracing God's creation with eagerness, returning to that mandate to develop creation in, in agreement, in harmony, and interdependence, that we depend on one another. We're not just here for a bit waiting for heaven as if the life that the Lord has created for us to live in is, is only what's to come, but we live also today in the place that God has set us today. And Psalm 8 that we sang together reminds us of our privileged place in the universe. We have been placed as stewards. And so we see the sixth commandment is a commandment to find joy in your task, in your food, in the beauty of creation, in the gifts and the talents that, that God has given you. And so you can work with the author of life in the glorious task of bringing salvation to the world. So fill our hearts that all may view your life in us and turn to you. That's the prayer we sang in hymn 79. The description of the Christian. This week, several of you will be writing exams at school. How do you write exams as the as the followers of the author of life. Well, you don't just study to pass your exams or just to get a, a grade. But you study because you're a person who embraces the world that God has given 
And you want to learn more and more so that you can serve Him with, with all your being. Studying, moved by the Holy Spirit. Driven by the author of life. To absorb all that God has given. To rejoice in the intricacies of different languages. Different aspects of science. The history. Loving living. Loving learning. That's what the Lord has given us today in the author of life. And it's good. Though there's a lot that hinders it. Our own sinful nature and death and hatred. Don't let that negative attack of the devil cloud over like dirt on a grave. Don't let it cover the life you have. With Christ we burst out of the grave and death and we have life. That has beautiful benefits for those around us. Paul speaks of being the fragrance of death to those who resist the author of life and the fragrance of life to those who belong to the author of life. 2 Corinthians 2. On one hand, that, that light exposes sins and so, ironically, sometimes protecting the life of our neighbor requires God's ordained legitimate, legitimate authorities to reveal the the, the presence of God's holiness through the physical punishment of the wicked. At the end of the catechism, you see, therefore, the government bears the sword to prevent murder. Sometimes love and service to the author of life demands that in protecting life, you cause harm to the bully. However, the sword of God's justice is not motivated by creation destroying pride and hate, but by that call to be the, the fragrance of life wherever you go. So when you're around school or at your workplace, people could smell what motivates you. Could they smell that life? The author of life carrying out his, showing his glory in the world through you. So as we hear the Sixth Commandment, we pray that our own pride, our own concern about our reputation, which before God is, we know, full of sin. We pray that our own denial of who we are and our, our own negative and maybe lackluster view of, of learning new things, that these things do not hinder our obedience to the Sixth Commandment. Just look at all the glorious opportunities that God has given you to enjoy before Christ returns. And on the listening aids, there was a suggestion that the younger children draw a picture of something they really like doing. It makes their life great. I think we can all do that. Reflect on the, the beauty of the life that we have, our task, our calling. May God help us to think and to evaluate and to grow and develop and to taste and to experience and to observe and to, to bask in and to, to cooperate with one another, to rejoice 
and the gifts and blessings of others who are also made in God's image, and also that we might share what he has given to us with them. For though the author of life was killed once, he now lives, he reigns forever. Amen. We'll now 